if I cannot understand how you can, how this can be benefit to your company, then why am I wasting my time with you? I would say a lot of a lot of sellers waste time with minions, you know, people who are told what to do, and wasting sales cycles and have deals in the pipeline that shouldn't be in the pipeline. They should constantly qualifying the deal. So that's what I'm doing. So it's less is more, focusing on less accounts. Welcome to Winning Streaks. I'm your host, Tanvir Mustafa, and every week I get deep into the stories and strategies of experts, champions, business moguls, and industry leaders to find out how you can win the day and win at life. If you're committed to never settling for the status quo and consistently challenging yourself to new heights, then this is the show for you. In return, I commit to bringing you insightful, practical, and no BS conversations that will help you create your next big win. My guest today is currently an enterprise account executive at Conversite and is a gold member in our Untap Your Sales Potential coaching program. He has spent the last 20 years in tech sales, primarily at startups ranging from early stage to late stage. He is a health and fitness nut and can be found casually doing Spartan races with his wife in his free time. Introducing Daniel Schaefer. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Tenvia, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I, I love having you on. Um, I remember the first time we met at our LA retreat. And the first thing I noticed was you're crazy fit. Like your <laughs> like your muscles were popping through your shirt, your Spartan race merchandise, your Spartan race hat. And uh, it just, you know, it stood out. So my first question to you is, what's your relationship been with health and fitness? And how has that sort of translated into your sales career? Right, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think sales and fitness go hand in hand with, with being competitive and trying to be the best that you can from, from yourself. The, the spark rates, it's really something that came about over the past six, seven years. Prior to that, I was been a fitness buff. I went to the gym, working out, um, watch what I eat. I really never been, had a problem with, with uh, being overweight. But over the past six, seven years, I switched and I looked at the different kind of exercises. And I thought that Spartan Race, a friend of mine turned me on to, is a great multifunctional way of exercising where you not just very literally going into um you know, running or into weightlifting, it's just a combination because you have to go run and then you have to go over an obstacle. So you have to be flexible. You have to have endurance. You also have strength. So it's a whole package in terms of uh, multi-purpose. So I got into that about six years ago and I've been racing competitively in, in my age group um, ever since. Yeah. And I'm very fortunate that my, my, my wife uh, is also um, very active part of the um spartan community that's awesome they i i hope you're like a brand ambassador or something because you certainly <laughs> you wear it on your sleeves uh on your heart and your sleeves for sure um and uh and you represent the brand really really well what i didn't know about you is that you immigrated to the u.s just mm -hmm. three years ago which i, no, I wouldn't 30 have 30 years ago oh, 30 sorry, years 30 years ago no, three years um, ago nice which, 30 years ago <laughs> <laughs> which I, I didn't I didn't know previously. Um, mm -hmm. When you first made the move, I think shortly after you got into into sales, how did you go about adjusting to the environment from a personal and professional standpoint? So I I really started up my sales career in the United States. So a big story background of myself is 
I actually, after high school and military in, in Germany, I went to work for Porsche. Um, and I wanted to become an engineer. And as, as a requirement for becoming an engineer, you have to be an apprentice and be a buddy repairman. So I went after high school and um, uh, military service. I went to become an apprentice in Germany, you know, for a Porsche dealership in the capital in Germany. And after that, I wanted to become an engineer and I got accepted at the uh, university. And I thought, okay, before I start my studies, I'm going to come to the United States. I always wanted to come here. And I came here. My original plan was to stay for one year and it's been now 30 years. So <laughs> I fell in love with the country and then uh, stayed here. And then over the, the first couple of years, I, I tried to work in the automobile industry, but come to find out it's a different perception in terms of work here versus uh, Germany in, in regards to repairing cars. So I pivot, you know, and that's going to be really this, this, the story of, of my life is pivoting and adjusting to the environment. And I went into, into car sales and then I went into retail sales and I started working for Nordstrom. So that's going to no, be... Me too. I work for Nordstrom too. Look at that. I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. So that's when I went back to school and um, during my time as a student, I worked full-time and most of the time at Nordstrom. And what I always liked about Nordstrom that you can relate to is the an reverse pyramid where the customer is first, right? And then management and all the middle mid-size management come on top of it. Mm -hmm. I always liked that that approach and I liked the philosophy of uh, the customer first. So when I went to university, I started studied uh, management information system and um, marketing. And through my career as a student, there was one class, it was a sales class, and it was an introductory class for a program called Program for Excellence in Selling. This is 20 years ago. So it was a, it was a, a sales program, introductory class, and then I liked it so much, the teacher was phenomenal, I signed up for the program. It was like a four-semester program, and it had Salesforce automation, it had advanced selling, and it guides you through the different stages of selling and specifically um, technology selling. And we had great mentors who have been VP of sales in, um, in multi-billion dollar companies who came to campus to teach us, which was great. And it was a room like, you know, you have to have a certain kind of personality to be successful in sales. You have to be outgoing. You have to be more extrovert. And the room was full of those people. And we loved it. <laughs> And typically, the classes started at 8.30. This class started at 8 o'clock. And guess what? 7.50, everybody was there and excited and rah-rah. So wow. I, I love the environment. Out of this program, this was in Houston, University of Houston, uh, there was, there's a sales mixer. So every, every semester, um, outside companies come to the program because I found out that in order for you to retain somebody in sales at an early age, it's very difficult. They found out that by hiring from their program, you have a higher probability of somebody being successful in sales and staying longer at your company. Mm -hmm. So I got hired out of the program after I graduated by a software startup company called NetIQ. And I worked as an inside salesperson. And that was 20 years ago. That's how I started my, my career in technology sales. What a journey. I mean, 
I one thing that I think is is a disservice to students. Um, it's amazing that you had that sales class back then, but you look at a lot of post-secondary institutions now, many of them don't have any sort of sales related education. I didn't even know that tech sales was a potential career path until the summer leading up to my fourth year of university. Mm -hmm. There was nothing on campus that remotely indicated that that was an option. And so that's actually how I got my, my start in tech sales was I started a club on campus for students about, it was called U Ottawa Sales Society, because I'm from Ottawa, um, U Ottawa Sales Society, all about how to prepare yourself for a career in, in tech sales. And I would bring in different speakers. We do, you know, spin selling and mm -hmm. uh, selling in the digital age and different workshops like that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think more educational institutions need to provide that, you know, that education, that insight. Mm -hmm. to let people know that, hey, there there are more career paths out there. Here's this really lucrative, potentially lucrative career path that that you have as an option, um, particularly for, you know, even business students or engineering students, because I see folks from all walks of life join tech sales. Mm -hmm. um, so, it's, so it has changed quite a bit over the past 20 years. I can tell that, you know, back then it was really not the whole internet. It was more about books. And I have actually books in regards to selling and sales playbooks so the the learning was much more limited than it is is today today it's very much broad and accessible to to, to everybody mm -hmm. and through through the past two decades the sales approach has, has completely changed where 20 years ago it was more top-down approach it was a decision by the cio to make that purchase Right, where right now it's a consensus where you have to go out and look at different personalities and then have a more bottom bottom up approach and mm -hmm. get the consensus from everybody in there in order to make a more strategic deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sales has evolved even in the past, you know, six, seven years that I've been in it, it's it's changed a lot. Um and you being in it for 20 years, mm -hmm. you started with that sales class, but you've taken a lot of sales trainings, classes, you've read a ton of books, you've consumed a lot of, of educational mm -hmm. sales material, um, but you still ended up joining our community. So what what drove you to join a community like ours? And what was it that you didn't necessarily get from, from all of those previous teachings um, yeah. that, that sort of brought you to us? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think my, my hunger to fulfillment and my hunger to do the best I can I feel like over the past 15, 20 years, um, I've I've done well, but I never reached my full potential. Because it was more, okay, I'm I'm I good, I can sell in this environment, I can be successful, but what's next? Right. And over, I mean, as you know, maybe not not right now, but as you become a family and you have kids and priorities shifted, and I found myself in the spot of when the kids are all going up and going out, where I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, okay, what, what else can I do? And what's, what's missing? And even though I've been through sales training, but never really had long-lasting <clears throat> long sales coaching, sales training, and we can talk about motivational uh, experience like Tony Robbins, for example, Unleash the Power from Within, or... Um, the date with destiny, which I have been been to over the you know four years ago, all those are in in the moment experiences 
they're not really going to help you when you're going to be at home. They're not going to help you with putting a schedule together and being successful consistently. And you mentioned what attracted me to Ian. Ian was actually recommended to me by a friend of mine who uh, is is a sales coach and uh, been coaching for 15 years. And I asked him if I wanted to go and invest in sales coaching, who would be somebody that he would recommend. And he said, well, there's this guy named Ian Koniak. You should follow him. So I followed Ian. And what I liked about Ian is that he's not only going to be talking the talk, but also he has performed in very, very high level uh, sales at a very respectable company. That's really the missing part in terms of sales training with big organizations, because you have somebody flying in a trainer who may be good in teaching the, the, the content, but is not going to be able to really tell you how to apply that in real life because he or she have never really sold. So mm. that attracted me to Ian. I, I like the content. Con, uh, content that he put out on YouTube and then really going through the program. I've been <clears throat> part of the program now for a year now. I've been a gold member since uh, I think May or, or June, but the first couple of months just really going diving through the content content made me go uh, and operate to, to, to gold because I wanted to have more mm-hmm. because I felt like Ian has a really good approach in looking at the, different methodologies of, of selling mm-hmm. over the past 10 years in terms of spin selling and in terms of, of challenges selling and apply it to something that is consumable today in 2023 and it's yeah. working effectively and that approach was very attractive to me yeah there's a there's a lot of really good methodologies and existing frameworks out there um, what i found to be true is that one of two things. A lot of them tell you what to do, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, they'll say, bring bring executives on early on in your deal cycle, but they won't exactly tell you how to do it. And that was my thing. It's like, okay, like this is, this is really great info and it's helping me. Like it is helpful what to do information. Mm-hmm. You can get that from a lot of books and, and resources, et cetera. But the how to is the thing that I think a lot of people struggle with. It's like, okay, now I know what to do, but how do I go about implement, implementing Um, you know, something like this. And then the other is the sales process. No two deals look the same. So a blanket framework or a blanket, you know, template to map the whole thing out Mm -hmm. isn't as straightforward as it might seem initially, because then this executive ghosts you and your champion goes on vacation and all these things happen that require you to be more adaptable to your deal cycle, um, which is something that, I really enjoy about the the work that we do at, at UISP. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned at the beginning that for you, the key was you didn't really feel like you were reaching your full potential. Mm-hmm. What were the things holding you back? Like what were you, what would you say were, was getting in the way of you reaching your, you reaching your full potential at the time? That's, that's a good question. I think, being humble enough to look inside and look at your faults to work on it to make a better you mm-hmm. what that means is understanding that you know i'm i maybe have the um propensity to be um not very attention focused and i'm distracted easily mm-hmm. and it's much better if i can focus on one task for a certain amount of time 
And if I can rely on me sticking to the calendar and sticking to the certain kind of activity without any distraction, yeah. then the results will come. And that's believing in the process will give me the confidence about that the outcome will come automatically, mm -hmm. that I will attract the outcome when I do the work and, and, and have the input. And I can tell you that, you know, I can give you some examples, you know, late, later on in terms of how I applied that methodology today using Ian's method and I've been successful. I'll talk about that in a little bit later if, if you want me to. But that really um, is number one, being humble, understanding your, your, your shortcomings and working on that. And mm -hmm. the, the, um, um, the, the willingness to work on yourself on self-improvement, that is something that, that was a big change for me. And that, that came around about mm, six, six years ago where I wanted to go ahead and find that out and then work on myself and then looking in the mirror and, and be okay with who you see in the mirror for all the faults. Mm -hmm. It's it's more like a maturity process in life. Was that, you said six years ago, was there something in particular that sort of drove you to want to make that transformation? And then how, how has that journey been since? Like, what are the sort of milestones that you've been on to, like you said, accept yourself? Yeah. So the, I think the time when, when my daughter moved out and then at that time, you just look around and you, you have to fill a void and then you have time really when the kids are, are growing up and moving out, that's when you have a time to look at yourself and say, okay, what's, what's, what's next. Right. And at that point, then I, I um, went to sign up for, for Tony Robbins. I read a couple, a couple of her books. And then I went to um, Unleash the Power from Within, and that was very exciting. And then I immediately signed up for um, a Date with Destiny about a couple, a couple months later. So I went back to back. So it was like July, and then in December, I went to uh, Date with Destiny. Date with Destiny is like six days hardcore. I mean, yeah. it's really great content. It really teaches you to reprogram yourself, understanding that, you know, who you are is really something that's very archaic that's hasn't been changed for thousands of years and you're just trapped in this, but you have the power to change that and change your beliefs. Right. And that was a whole new concept for me to really understand. Mm -hmm. It sounds powerful. I mean, it's, I think I've spoken to at least three people on this podcast over the past couple of weeks so far that have uh, cited attending Tony Robbins uh, and a Tony Robbins event as a huge catalyst um for sort of like waking up but speaking of waking up you and i were talking about this before we hit the record button but yeah. you you get up early in the morning you get up at 3 45 to 4 30 and you have this this i wouldn't call it crazy because i don't think it's crazy but you have a very i'll say high functioning morning where you probably get more done than most people get done by noon um mm -hmm. Talk to us about your morning routine and then how you've gone about building over building it over time and, and why it is the way that it is. This episode of Winning Streaks is brought to you by Untap Your Sales Potential. Two years ago, I was blindly navigating my role as an account executive at Salesforce. 
I didn't have any structure or any organization in my approach. And if you would have asked me what my strategy was, I would have told you that I was just throwing as much at the wall as possible and seeing what sticks. This led me to extreme burnout, high levels of anxiety, and frankly, a complete lack of fulfillment from my role as a sales professional. It honestly made me even wonder if I was even cut out to be in sales. That's when I found the Untap Your Sales Potential coaching program. Founded by Ian Koniak, Untap Your Sales Potential is a sales coaching program that teaches the exact frameworks, processes, and strategies that have helped Ian close over $100 million in sales across industry giants such as Rico and Salesforce. With multiple number one finishes and seven-figure years, Ian's expertise is unparalleled. This program will help you access the mindset, habits, and selling skills of the top 1% of tech sales professionals. After I started working with Ian, I ended up finishing number one on my team two years in a row, closed over $3.6 million in sales, and earned my spot at President's Club. Most importantly, it helped me rediscover my purpose and experience true fulfillment. But don't just take my word for it. We've had over 150 students go through this coaching program, with many of them shattering income records, exceeding their quotas, and achieving levels of success they never thought possible. So if you're ready to level up and untap your sales potential, visit untapyoursalespotential.com and book a free strategy call with me, where we'll talk through where you're struggling, where you'd like to improve, and how we can help. Again, that's untapyoursalespotential.com to book your free strategy call today. Now let's get back to the show. Right. So when when I wake up, I, I'm waking up at the latest at four thirty. It just it depends. You know, my wife she's more consistent in regards to waking up. So when she wakes up at three forty five, it just depends on, um, you know, if I'm ready to to get up or not. But my my morning routine starts with me stretching first of all, and then uh, Wim Hof breathing technique. And I don't know if any of the listeners have you know done that I would highly encourage it because what it what it um, helps you is deep breathing and helps you with the oxygen um, support in, in your blood which makes you much more aware throughout the day and then it's uh, you can you can have different rounds of breathing and hold your breath and do box breathing it can take anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes like three rounds but it's it, it's great so I've been doing this probably for the past, I think, year, year and a half, two years. And I can see a huge improvement in terms of my endurance running and also in terms of stress, like deep breathing techniques. That's great. Then after that, I do uh, meditation. I tried a couple of meditation programs before. Uh, I'm right now using ones called Waking Up. It's about 10 minutes. And it's it's really great after you do the breathing exercise because then you're much in a much calmer state. And then when you're done with the breathing exercise, you have this 10-minute meditation. Um, and it's, it will help you connect with your consciousness, help you understand who you are, what conscious means, and really thinking about it more from a third-person perspective and which will teach you to set you apart in terms of things that are happening and then attach emotion to the way things are happening, right? And it makes you much more grounded and, you know, as, as a person. Mm -hmm. After that, I'm then walking my dogs. I have two um, husky mixed dogs. They're 18 months old. They're brothers and sisters. They're 65 pounds. They are big babies. 
And uh, I'm walking them anywhere from you know two to four miles in the morning. It takes another 45 minutes to an hour. And then when I get back, I'm working out. I'm I'm going to the gym. We we are fortunate enough to have a gym in the house, and depending if that's available or not, uh, I, I work out there, or I have a gym like five minute walk from from here. So then I work out and I follow um, Jeff Cavalier. He's the founder of Athlinex. Athlinex, yeah, yes, yeah. I have a certain work workout program that I do then, and it takes you know about an hour. And then I come back, shower, and that's where I start my day. And depending on what calls I have, I have time, sometimes call scheduled at 7 or even 6.30 with, with um, Asia sometimes. Um, so I, I back mm -hmm. up my day. But typically at 7.30 or 8 o'clock is when I, when I start my day. And then I have an hour of lunch break and then work till mm -hmm. 6 o'clock. So you're doing all of that all of those things before basically seven thirty, eight o'clock, which is, yes. again, most people aren't even awake <laughs> until that time. And you've already meditated. You've already done breath work. You've already worked out. You've already walked your dogs. So a lot of really great accomplishments yeah. to start the day. Um, but my, my question is why? Like, why do you choose to willingly wake up that early? Was there a catalyst for that? Or was um, it just something that you've always done? I always been an early bird. I always like to get up early. One of my favorite jobs was when I was uh, working from four to 12. Mm. I actually um, supported the team in Europe and I had to be in the office here in Dallas at four o'clock in the morning. And I loved it. You know, I work up at 3.15 or 3.30 and then drove 15 minutes to, to work. And man, that was the best time. So I've always been an early, early person. I like to get things done in the morning, but once you start working, I found I have a hard time just throughout the day just to break and then working out and then coming back all sweaty, whatever, and then working again. I think there's, there's, um, I'm just not that person in terms of stopping that and then going back at it. For me, it's just, I have to be consistent in terms of, okay, I'm, I have to focus on this one task and I have a hard time just mixing it up and then working out and going back to this this one particular task of working. Mm -hmm. Well, now I know why you're so jacked all the time. You get that work in every morning. Um, but like you just mentioned, you you uh, at least now, you know, you, you want to focus on one task at a time so that you can focus. But in the past, you've struggled with sort of distractions right. and, and that sort of thing. Um, but since you've been in our community, like you were, you were even on a group coaching call yesterday where you were like, closing a deal over the phone. <laughs> we, we all heard you pick up the phone during the call. And, you know, you've been securing meetings with some of the top executives and some of the most notable companies in the world and been performing really well. So let's go back to that because I think that'd be a great way to just sort of wrap things up is how did you address some of the challenges that you were facing? What are some of the things you've done to address the distractions, address the, the lack of not hitting your full potential? To ultimately now, you know, seeing a lot more momentum in your in your sales approach. So I think it's a shift, it's a mind shift. I think it is really tolerating or accepting mediocrity, shifting to wanting to fulfill your potential. Right. So there, there's a shift, and I think a lot of salespeople are just skating, skating by, and they're just doing 
more reactive and just doing what they've been told in terms of the metrics by their individual companies. But the way Ian approaches is basically to focus on the input and then the out outcome will, will come. And that's a complete mind shift. And uh, it has taught me to be much calmer to understand that, okay, I'm here to help you to solve a problem, not here, I'm here to, to make a commission, right? So I think that's inward versus outward looking what um, Ian is preaching. So that has helped me quite a bit from a, from a perspective in terms of how I, I, I change my, my, my sales habits. Mm -hmm. And you've been applying that in your sales cycles. Like you've been applying that yep. in your sales approach to, again, get, get meetings with top executives mm -hmm. and now move deals forward and ultimately bring them to the finish line um, in, in some deals you have in the pipeline right now. So how have you been doing that? Like, how, what does that look? That sounds great, but what does that right. look like tactically um, in your sales cycle and in your sales process? RGA all day. So that's that's what it is. So it's revenue generating activities. Really being true to yourself in terms of what are you doing throughout the day in terms of activities that are non-revenue generating, right? And then cut cut it all out and focus really be true to yourself. Do the um you know 12, 12 week program, right? And it's not 12 a 12 week year. Yeah. 12 week year. It's not it's not a 12 step program, it's a 12 12 week year program, right? <laughs> so it's a little right. different. Yeah, different. But understanding in terms of your priorities, what are your priorities? And back it into your calendar and then focus on those activities. Mm -hmm. So what, what it means be number one, understanding what problems do you solve? How are you helping your customers? What does your ideal customer profile look like? And then what really helped me securing some of the deals is the methodology that Ian has created in terms of the email sequencing. And I think that is really the, the number one challenge for a lot of salespeople today is creating pipeline in this environment where everybody's going to use AI to have some kind of automated outbound uh, lead generation, which is completely noisy and teaches executives not to open a lot of emails and sending more emails is not the answer. So Ian has this approach where he has an email sequence where you first initiate an interest and then have very, very valuable steps of following up with five or six steps emails afterwards, including maybe some phone calls. So I created an automated sequence and I have a lot of responses from, from that and uh, secured meetings with, you know, C-level executives in, in big organizations because of that. That's awesome to hear. Can you, can you give us an idea of numbers? So like from a results standpoint, whether it's pipeline or, or ACB, that's been a result of, you know, moving these deals forward and getting a momentum. Can you give us an idea on what some numbers might look like? Yeah, sure. So I just, um, closed a, a deal yesterday. I got the PO and that's for paid, paid POC. And once this is three months POC, and then that's going to convert into an annual deal. The annual deal is a couple of hundred thousand dollars per year. And that's going to be, you know, ARR. Uh, and that's just one deal. And I have like two or three deals like that in the pipeline. 
I should close one other one next week. It's mm-hmm. going to be the same thing. And I have another one uh, in the pipeline for, for Q1. So overall, it's definitely a seven-figure pipeline that I can execute based on the methodology that um, Ian has been helpful in, in sharing and I implemented. That's awesome to hear. And and you mentioned some of the techniques that you've used or, you know, from a, a sequence standpoint, from an email standpoint of messaging, what you've done, um, uh, you know, to, to get the attention of those of those executives. What specifically are you putting in those emails? Like what what makes your messaging so different that is allowing you to secure those meetings? It's really having a, a fifth grade conversation. That's really what is kind of making it more, more simpler. Um, don't use too many words and focus on the challenges and the outcome. And talk more about how you can help them than talk about your company and your solution. It's mm-hmm. all about them, not about you. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, we tend to want to, in the first email, to show up and throw up and talk about features and functions. But in ascent, in actuality, you need to gain trust of your prospect first. And in order to gain trust, you need to find a mutual understanding. And you have that by a conversation, not by a pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ditch the pitch, right? It's, ditch it's, the pitch, yeah. Ditch the pitch. And uh, I just find that the more sort of customer-focused you can be, prospect-focused you can be, mm-hmm. like it sounds, it sounds like cheesy almost, you know, to say put the customer first, like, just like focus on them. And I think a lot of people hear that and they don't know what that translates into. It's like, okay, but I still need to make a commission at the end of the day. And it's like, yes. And you will make that commission when you put the customer first. Right. right. Um, the, you've, you've done that in your messaging to bring the customer into, into your funnel. Right. Mm-hmm. What are you doing now? Once you have them in your deal, like what have you started doing differently to, you know, get them to go from one step to another and ultimately needs to reach the finish line. Is there anything unique in your sales process that you're um, doing to get that result? Okay. Let's back up here a little bit. I mean, I've been working for startup companies for the past 10 years. Um, it's a unique problem that I solve. I'm working for companies who are series A, B, C. It just depends on where they are in the journey where they don't have a lot of templatized approach to gain awareness in Fortune 1000, 5000 companies. I have to be the one who is constantly farming and creating uh, that insight and that trust. So it's a little bit different. I don't have a name recognition. Mm. So going in there and having an exact messaging and and gaining the trust is the number one key. Right. It's not like you're working for Salesforce and Salesforce is a name brand and everybody knows Salesforce and you have a reputation and you have so many references in each individual vertical across a multitude of, of, um, uh, of, of uh, company sizes. I don't have that at all. Mm-hmm. So it's really going into put the customer first and, and, and finding the right message that resonates with the customer and then gain, gain trust. So that's, that's the number, number one objective. Once you have gained trust, then the execution is really leaning heavily on your champion. No champion, no deal. That really becomes 
that's another lesson learned over a long, long period of time that we as salespeople tend to focus a lot on manager and below to talk about features and function mm. because we are comfortable with that conversation and we are not focusing on a higher level who can actually make the decision in the, on the executive buyer. And that's also a shift over the past couple, couple of years that look, if I cannot understand how you can, how this can be benefit to your company, then why am I wasting my time with you? I would say a lot of, a lot of sellers waste time with minions, you know, people who are told what to do and wasting sales cycles and have deals in the pipeline that shouldn't be in the pipeline. Right. And, um, I was guilty. I was guilty. Oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah, and you should constantly qualify in the deal. So that's what I'm doing. So it's less is more, focusing on less account. And then I have to create a templatized approach going into this, understanding how this technology works, understanding what the ideal customer profile looks like, then winning a couple of deals and then templatizing the approach and duplicating and then selling another. So I, I, I now have success in this particular vertical Guess what? I'm templatizing the approach and I already have identified 25 other accounts like the particular accounts and I've already created new campaigns to go ahead and go after those. And I have a, I have a different message now. I'm much more refined in terms of the messaging. And alone, this, this one particular use case alone, which is freeing up cash flow by reducing inventory for manufacturing companies. That that's that's gonna be my focus for all next year, and I can make easily make my number doing just one use case. Oh, I love that! I can make my number easy. Look at that. That's that's awesome to hear. Um, and I wanna because I think a lot of people when they when they step into a startup, right, or when they're at a startup, because there's no templates, there's no processes, no frameworks, nothing that they can use. They are sort of a fish out of water, right? They yeah. don't know where to start, or maybe they they go down one track and then they're like, you know what, let me try this instead. So yeah. how have you gone at, with all the experience that you have now, mm-hmm. how have you refined your approach to stay more focused? And then number two, what, how are you cutting through the noise? Because you're, you're, you're competing with the big companies too, mm-hmm. right? So I know you're putting the customer first, but what does that look like? from a templatized approach standpoint, is it, you know, similar messaging that you're using? Are you using personalization? Like, how does that work? Yeah, that's, you know, it's a lot of trial and error. (laughs) So you have to, number one, it's not for everybody. Um, A lot of people I've seen in my, in my, in my um, career as a salesperson, failed working for a startup company you have been very comfortably working for companies like oracle ibm big organizations where they have a team of 20 people behind them and a big team to support them i am basically i'm i'm a team of one i have some solutions engineers that can help me i have executives that can help me but you have to be scrappy you have every single deal you have to find out what can I do? There's no one approach, right? So you have to be very, very scrappy, a multitude. You have to constantly adapt to, to the to the situation. And the the way you attract attention is by 
you have to choose wisely to work for a company that you believe in that the product is revolutionary. So what, what I sell is, is a Genitive AI analytics for um, that's going to make it easier for, for customer to get answers of their own data. It's a self-service analytics using Genitive AI. And uh, we've been doing it for six years and we created our own large language models. Um, we have our own patented technology for, for knowledge graph. So it's basically chat GPT for business data for your own um, in your own environment, which is revolutionary. Cutting edge. So, cutting edge. So yeah. you have, but you have to understand that and then you have to template that. What does it mean to, to companies? Well, right to you. And you have to understand what the problem is. So you, again, there's no one way. You have to trial and error. And you have to understand what is the best problem that you can solve with the highest ROI. That's really what's come down to. And it can be, and I work for multi, multiple startup companies. This, this is going to be Gen AI for analytics, but it can be intelligent process automation. It can be um, self-service for Hadoop. That's what I sold you know, 10, 10 years ago. It just depends on where, what company you are. And the technology is one area. I've worked for startup companies where you have to look at the, the leaders because that's the product is one thing. But if you have an arrogant CEO who doesn't understand how to sell, you know, and to enterprise accounts is not in good good in front of customers, that will fail. So you have to pick the right company, and it's very volatile. It's not easy to do. That's number one. Believe in your product. Believe in the company. Believe in the people you work with, mm -hmm. and then find out what's the ideal customer profile. And what's the best use case that you can help the customer with? So you have to be scrappy and you have to figure it out on your own. You have to read a lot. You have to understand what other competitors doing. Can somebody like, like, like Microsoft do that? They could, but they haven't. And that's not their priority. Mm. So we have definitely a way better solution than the big guys. And, and another thing is also that people like working with smaller companies because you get more attention. I can give much more attention to a company than the Microsoft rep or the IBM rep or SAP rep for this organization. You're just one of thousands of customers, right? Yeah, that's right. Every company has, whether you're big or small, every company has their own unique differentiator, own unique business value proposition. Um, and it's almost the opposite of the competitor. So it's like, hey, the big guys aren't going to be able to give you the level of service that you know you deserve. Right. Oh, hey, the the small guys don't have the resources to make sure you're all set up for success. So there, you can find positioning. You can cultivate positioning based on your standing in the market. But like you said, um, you know, having worked with lots of folks at at startups, um, you need to have clearly identified business value proposition, clearly identified competitive differentiators that you can speak to um, in your yep. messaging, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Daniel, it's been it's been great having you on the show. Where can people learn more about you and connect with you and message you if they have any questions? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm active on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm at DH Schaefer on LinkedIn. Uh, Converseite. I live in Dallas. You can connect with me. Happy to connect. Let me know if you have any questions. Awesome. And uh, one last question. Yeah. If you were to give one last piece of advice to my listeners to help them achieve their next big win, what would that be? 
don't wait to invest in yourself in regards to coaching. You know, it's something that I should have done years ago. I mean, I don't, Ian was not available, but invest in yourself and you will reap the benefits tenfold. There you go. It's been great having you on Winning Streaks, Daniel. Thanks for coming on the show. Okay. Thank you, Tanvir.